0: Everyone, welcome back to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm Kevin Cornell, your host today. Uh, we are going to be discussing how to budget for the release of your next or maybe even your first ever EP. Uh, knowing that a lot of artists who use TuneCore and tune into this podcast are not necessarily working with major budgets, um, we want to dive into some of the things uh, that you should be considering when setting up your release plan. Joining us today is uh, TuneCore artist Luke Rathborn, an artist manager and founder of JM Management. Jason Melker. Luke has been writing and recording music since he was about 17 and has become a fixture in New York's uh, indie scene, garnering love from press outlets like Rolling Stone, Spin, The Guardian, Vice, and others. Uh, He recently just uh, dropped a new single called Don't Call Me Baby, which you can find uh, on Spotify, iTunes, and all the other digital platforms. Uh, Jason Melker founded JM Management in 2010. Uh, He works with artists such as Talib Kweli. Dudley Music, and Bohemians, among others. Uh, JM currently provides day-to-day management services for local and developing artists, artists, excuse me, as well as product management for growing independent record labels. Assuming that uh, recording and mastering are being handled on a separate budget, we thought it made sense to try to touch on some of the different areas of uh, costs associated with releasing an EP once the artist has the music taken care of. So uh, we have already done a podcast a little bit about recording budgets, uh, this is going to be a little bit more about after recording. Uh, of course, the areas we discuss here are not going to apply for all artists out there, so we'll kind of spare you guys the task of actually building a budget here and now. What we're really hoping to do is just uh, you know, give artists something to walk away with in terms of helpful information and considerations for your next release. So um, let's take a dive into some of the things that artists on an indie budget should be accounting for and uh, what our guests have to say about it from their own experiences. So Luke and Jason, uh, thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was Jason and Luke, respectively. Uh, OK, so let's dive into it uh, and talk distribution first. Uh, obviously, I'm a little biased in suggesting that artists choose TuneCore for digital distribution, uh, and of course, give themselves the proper timeline to secure their desired release date and take advantage of our feature submission form and all that. But If an artist wants to go physical, I want to talk about some things they should consider. So, um, Luke, you know, in your opinion, what do you think artists should be considering before they decide to release like maybe a seven inch version of their EP?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that people should definitely consider cost because um, I think inevitably if you can swing it, it's definitely worth the money. But Um, depending on how many seven inches you're selling, you'll probably be giving a lot away depending on who you are. They tend to be good, like promo items and things to give to DJs and things like that. So, um, if you're considering doing a seven inch, just know it's going to be a little bit more than you're going to expect off the bat. And it will definitely be helpful if you have a tour planned out. I know that's, um, if you're trying to actually move the units, you know, and, uh, I, I really just think that it can be a little bit more expensive than you're first anticipating, but it it can help start a conversation and, and people like to have physical things and to connect to an artist, you know?
0: Sure. I imagine it's a little bit about knowing your audience too, right? I mean, you know... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Jason, do you feel like uh, there's... you? Like, most hires are going to know whether or not they should pursue a venture like uh, Physical 7-Inch or maybe go just strictly digital.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can you can gauge it almost by looking at what your CD sales are, which is way less when it comes to production cost. Um, you can kind of see if your CDs are moving and you kind of bring out a crowd who you think owns turntables or would appreciate the blown-up artwork. That's when it would make sense to even start thinking about the vinyl process.
0: Sure. So artists should definitely expect to take a hit financially maybe a little bit by giving some of these out but if there's the right crowd for it and there's a tour plan maybe uh, it sounds like it makes sense Uh, but another thing we all know about by now or at least if you're going to shows is the cassette phenomenon um you know bring these things back into style as either giveaways or charging you know three or four or five bucks at the merch table when they have a new release out to you know go along with their digital release um luke what are your thoughts on on cassette releases
1: i i think it's similar to what jason was saying where it's like you really got to know your audience for for certain artists i think that it's a perfect alternative to making you know more expensive vinyl but um i think you know if you're the kind of artist that's going to sell cassettes to people you're you're going to know already you know there's going to be like-minded artists showing uh that you'll be going to their shows and seeing seeing cassettes laid out you know it i think it skews more towards like uh DIY kind of punk yeah, audience sure. whether that be you know in in hip hop or indie rock or whatever I mean it's it's definitely um I think it skews towards a, a younger audience or more like a collector audience for sure
0: which is funny because the older audiences are the ones that actually owned cassettes when they were popular right <laughs> nobody owns cassettes anymore everybody threw it. people
2: save their CDs I still have my CDs nobody has cassettes anymore but there is like a novelty cool thing about it that I understand why I mean just, just like Lucas said, you know, it's it's the same as you know, it's the same as vinyl because you're walking away with something tangible, but it's uh it's way less expensive to make. You can kind of there's plenty of like cassette labels in Brooklyn yeah. that will, you know, be able to do it for you instead of waiting the sixteenth week sixteen week production time that it takes for vinyl, which is hey, I mean if you're planning sixteen weeks ahead you have to have all your ducks in a row way in advance. Yeah. Right?
0: That's another thing to go with anything physical is to remember that you've you got to want to give yourself plenty of time. It, it, you know, Pressing a seven inches is, uh, is a topic all in itself, really. Um, but moving on to sort of the promotional element, uh, you know, the promotional efforts associated with the EP release, um, obviously something we're always talking about here at TuneCore is promotion, 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 uh, and learning how to promote yourself better. Um, you know, I'll ask, uh, I'll ask Jason first, you know, what do you, what, do you, what do you consider to be some of the pros and cons of going DIY versus hiring a publicist when it comes to reaching out, uh, either digitally or for even print, uh, you know. And if an artist is going to consider reaching out with a publicist, you know, how much should they really be thinking about budgeting, r- realistically?
2: Sure. Um, I'm all about putting in the work and elbow grease and, you know, if you have, if you have a four-person four band, that's four people who can do the job of a publicist. The downside is they don't come with those connections necessarily. Um, If they're out there, if they're networking, if they're making friends, it helps them. But if you're a college kid sitting in your dorm room, you're only as strong as your writing capabilities when you're sending stuff out to blogs and whoever else it may be. Whereas if you go to a publicist, they kind of skip that step for you and they kind of make it possible that their
0: relationships open a few doors. Sure. And Luke, have you had experience on both sides of that?
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of experience with that. I think that one thing you have to consider is that the lesser known you are as an artist, the harder it is to be a publicist for that artist. It's, it requires so much more work. So, I think that if an if a publicist that's, you know, reputable is taking you on, you really have to look at am I going to be a priority at this PR firm? Absolutely. And also just like why you have to because you know to answer the money question it can run from like a 500 hundred dollar a month bro deal to like you know it can be like six thousand dollars a month so it's like and you're gonna get um a varying quality at all different tiers like the guy who's doing 500 a month might do an amazing job for you because you're all that they have right you know so i think that it's it's really tricky. I would almost spend less in the beginning and you should know that as an undeveloped artist you are much much harder to do publicity for like for instance like if someone came up to someone on the street and said, "Hey, you want to do PR for Radiohead?" like you know, the initial blast of saying Radiohead has a new record is going to be like very sought after news. You're not going to have a hard time getting people to run that Whereas if it's like, you know, um, some DIY underground band, it's like pulling teeth to get people to come come to the table.
2: Also, the, uh, the thing with publicity is that you're not going to get immediate returns. So you, the number you gave was $6,000 a month, which is a real number. There's no way that you could say, I got $6,000 worth of publicity in this month because it won't pay off for months down the road. So... It's it's definitely
0: it could be a slippery slope if uh, not tended to properly. And of course, uh, and and similar to my next point, but uh, between publicists and promoters, uh, my next question is going to be about college and radio promotion. These are you know members of your team that you're paying up front. That's not something you're always doing, um, so it's another important cost. So regardless of the results, you are paying up front. They're not taking any sort of percentage, Um, and. Luke, in your experience, uh, have you found Indian College radio promotion for an EP to be something pretty beneficial?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think that, first off, I don't think that a lot of radio promo companies would deal with an EP. They'd probably ask you for, for, it's like a single, they'd probably want you to give them a full length record. Um, But college radio is really, it's a weird thing. I mean, it's, it's. I feel like you should always check that box, but um, it's kind of hard to calculate an effect. Like you could be number one at a at a college, and you could hit up you could have booking hit up the events coordinator at that college, and they wouldn't have any idea who you were. So it's like it's a, it's a little bit complicated, but in a longer terms uh, picture, it's obviously important because you need to connect with that demographic, and you need that also to bring on you know, if you want to start going to commercial radio, too.
0: Smaller, smaller reach, but uh, I think a bigger influence of people in terms of people who listen to right. college radio,
2: too. Yeah, if, if the college radio station is influential on their campus or in their neighborhood, then yeah, I mean, for sure.
0: And then, of course, uh, just taking into consideration other promotional stuff that, uh, you know, these costs add up. We're talking about photography, design work for your website, EPK, one-sheets, CDRs, if you're going to going to be selling, sending this stuff. This is all stuff you should be considering, I guess, as well. Um,
2: you want to go through them one at a time? Would you, yeah, I mean, photography?
0: Let's, yeah, let's talk about photography. So I, I think of, you know, uh, artist photography is hugely important key. in terms of, uh, you know, whether it's a one-sheet, whether it's a website, whether it's just PR assets, right? Absolutely. Definitely key. But, you know, artists don't have to spend a a, a fortune on that. They nope, can, they your friend can, owns a camera. Exactly. Uh, L- Luke, have you um, sort of played that game in terms of figuring out what not to spend on photography or design work in general?
1: Yeah, I feel just like unilaterally, it's, it's just like Jason was saying, where it's, you can do so, the cameras are so good now. And you have the time, you have the extra time. It's like when you walk by signs or like headshots for $300, it's like, you know. I, I don't know. Get your friend to take a shot. <laughs> There's a
2: solid wall right behind your head. Right yeah. now. <laughs> we could do this
0: right here. <laughs> get that iPhone X.
1: <laughs> I uh, would just say across the board, like even the CDs were seven inch. Not to get off topic, but like, do everything as cheap, cheap as possible. Bring, I mean, you know, if you're trying to make money on a tour, bring less people. You know, and and try to make the best show possible with the with the least amount of things possible. You efficiency. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw Future before. I couldn't even tell who Future was on stage. This was like very early in Future's now career. Now you're just showing off. <laughs> and well, but he was, he was. It, it wasn't that early. He was playing at a festival, but he showed up and he just had his buddy with plug in with the computer. And it's like if you think about how low you're keeping the overhead of a tour at that point, you're bound to recoup your expenses you know sure it's a lot of hotel room money and that's yeah.
0: that's something I wanted to talk about too, uh, Luke especially to you uh, with your touring experience um, you know obviously t- touring can be a, a conversation all, all together itself but just on some high-level pointers for an artist that's or a band that's doing uh, an EP release and they want to go support um, you know comparing past tour costs will be key but if it's your first one to support this you know your first ever set of out-of-market dates uh, Luke, what are some sort of high-level th- points that they should consider, Be you know, that, like, sneak, sneaky costs that go overlooked by a lot of buyers the first time they hit the road?
1: I mean, for sure, like, uh, like Jason was saying, like, hotel costs, like, a lot of times, you know, the, the kind of classic way to do it is to have one guy walk up to a hotel clerk and say, hey, I'm looking for a room for one person, and then everybody comes in through the back door and you all sleep in the same room. I think those are the kind of... Cost you can cut to to actually be making money and not losing money it's really easy to lose money on a tour
0: of course and I mean in terms of just goals you know you talk about like if you're walking away from a tour losing some money um, but you've still booked those dates uh, when it comes to the booking and, and uh, let's face it a lot of this is DIY you're you're, trying, you're not necessarily you're, you're trying to attract a booking agent at some point but what do you think are some realistic goals that are should sort of set, set for themselves when they when they step into the arena of booking
1: I think they should be really careful to try to work with promoters and be transparent. Um, it actually goes a longer way to let a promoter know that you do need local support to help bring people in. And I think promoters in general are, are more responsive to um, transparency than that meaning be be real with them than saying you're going to bring two hundred fifty people and showing up to an empty room is not. It's not a promoter's favorite thing, sure. I don't think, and they're no, they're more willing to not do business with you in the future, and they're usually the same guy, you know. Every uh, they change over every few years, but you'll be talking to the same person the next tour, you know.
0: Yeah, you're you're trying to build relationships while you do this. Obviously, you know you want to start out on the right uh, on the right foot. But in terms of in your own personal experience, when you're starting out, um, or at least starting out touring. Did you find it beneficial to break things up and do multiple sort of short run regional tours or did you just go all out?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, there's definitely a classic tour route of doing a big circle around the United States or, you know, going more deeply into Europe. Um, but I do think that there's there's a, definitely a benefit to also looking at shorter Tier tours like if you can base something out of new york or philly you can hit a lot of places you can make it down to north carolina and and really not expend that much money it's it's really when you start covering long distance like the classic one is between like you know getting through texas and arizona and new mexico to california that's long drives yeah that's when it starts to get like okay we're we're spending money we're not we're not there's nowhere to really play depending on the day of the week and and yeah so you're doing long drives and it, and it can start to add up and people can get a little restless but um i think just first and foremost just try to get on a bill of somebody who's already done a lot of this groundwork and and there's actually something to be said for being on more mid mid-level rooms like uh, i've talked to agents before who are like that's a that's a better audience who want to discover new things it's, it can be surprising if you get on with a uh with a more major market, kind of like, you know, 3,000 cap room tour, it's like the people who come there are almost less into discovering new music. They mm-hmm. came they came to see what they came to see, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean, I can definitely personally relate to that. I, I go to small venues around Brooklyn all the time. And if I'm going to be there, I'm going to, you know, at least look into the opening band on on Spotify or Bandcamp or whatever. And if it's something I'm into, guess what? I'm going to go and see how they are live.
1: Yeah. And and I really think too that like it's just amazing like you can do these like, you know, bigger rooms like um, you know the Wiltern size venues and you can get the most common question you can be asked is what is the name of your band? Sure, <laughs> and it can be printed on your on the on a banner on the wall or something. So it's like it's pretty interesting. It's more like this attitude of like, oh yeah, I remember. You, you played, didn't you? What, what was that? So I do think that like hitting smaller rooms and, and more devoted fan bases can pay off more in terms of um, building an audience. You know,
0: Sure. And I mean, it, it's kind of like what you just mentioned about with the hotel room. I think or I, I would imagine. I've never been on tour myself. But I would imagine you can kind of base your touring budget on your own standard of comfort and necessities. Like what you need to feel comfortable on the road, what you don't need.
2: Yeah, you don't have to live the uh, rat video lifestyle
0: <laughs> when you're on the road. I think this is the first ever rat reference on, uh, on the ToonCore podcast. So thank you, Jason. You got it.
1: Well, you can also base it, too, on your age as well. Yeah. Where it's like um, the I feel like the creature comforts can tend to go up as as your age goes up, the, the different things that you want. And um, if you're, eight, you know, 18, 19 through 23, like... Really, how much do you really need? It's going to be fun either way, you know.
0: Yeah, just get some Capri Sun and yeah. some vitamin C pills and you'll be fine.
1: Don't eat fast food. That's something I've learned over, over time. You think that fast food is good, but you only really eat it like w- once every few weeks. And on tour, it's easy to just oh, yeah. think that that's a solution to your problem. And it's actually, it's really not.
0: It's in addition to your problems. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So while we're talking about uh, touring, I kind of wanted to get into merch a little bit. I know merch isn't necessarily on uh, the eyes of every artist or or band that's releasing a new EP, especially if you're a little bit early on, but it's definitely something to consider. So I wanted to ask our guests a little more about that. Um, Jason, I'll ask you, You know, do you think merch matters uh, for an early release if the artist isn't hitting the road?
2: Yeah, definitely. Worst case scenario, you spend money and you're sitting on it. It's not that you're spending money, it's going to waste because those t-shirts or whatever you bought stickers or business cards or download cards, whatever they may be, you'll hang on to them and eventually they will go. You'll play that show that three girls loved your set and they're going to run up to you after the show and buy those three shirts. And now you're down from 20 to 17, more math I did in my head. Um And you know, yeah, I mean, you're carrying it from city to city or from venue to venue, whatever it may be, but get shirts early on. I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to break your bank, hopefully. And, um, if you go about it the right way and
1: you can make your money back
0: and then some. Luke, do you have anything uh, personally to add to that?
1: Yeah. I felt like depending on the tour, like you really can make a lot of money on CDs and, and, um, things like that. I don't know if the thing of the computers not having CD players in it anymore is kind of turning people off, but, I was kind of amazed at how many people bought CDs, um, in general, and they're really cheap to manufacture. And there's a, there's kind of, there's a big, um, you know, you can make, you can make money on them. You can support your tour on them and ditto t-shirts. I just think that in general, having a lot of different options is, is also good. Um, and also just simple things of being like, look, if you buy, um, If you buy a shirt, we'll give you a free CD and that's $2 out of your pocket.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Sort of like, um, if, if, if either of you guys had sort of tips or uh, maybe personal experiences with bundling, uh, with the new release, you know, what, what are some good ways? Like, like you said, you know, it's, it's offering at the merch table or if it's thinking way ahead of time and saying, Hey, I'm going to buy XYZ merch and I'm going to bundle it with this. And yeah, the cost is going to go up a little bit more, but you're getting more out of it.
2: Yeah, I have a developing artist I work with uh, and a lot of his shows he plays for tips and what he'll announce a few times during his set if you put in $5 or $10 depending on what the show is like if you put $5 in, come up and grab a CD and hey, it, you know people are going to tip anyway but if they were going to tip a dollar and they end up tipping 5 you know, they were already reaching into their pocket they might as well reach in and grab a few more bucks and throw it in the bucket it helps him out and he has the CDs he might as well, you know Give people a reason to take a part of his show home with them
0: yeah I mean it's, it's one less beer right and yeah you know, if you're making connection with the artist uh, or the artist making connection with you rather um, it goes both ways yeah of course and you're walking away with something uh, and you know b- between what you've seen managing and Luke yourself uh, as an artist you know av- are there any sort of like cheap outside-the-box tips uh, for merch that you've either seen work well or have worked well personally for you, uh, maybe you know not your traditional T-shirts, stickers, pins, sort of thing.
1: Well, I was just gonna say it would give you give away the stickers and the pins with with sure. stuff, and people are like, "That's awesome." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, just something that I sometimes forget is bring a bring a square with you. It's, it seems obvious, but there's so many people who come up and dig in their pockets for cash, and they would just easily swipe a. A debit card or a credit card, and and get whatever they they wanted from you, you know.
0: That, yeah, that's that's actually a really good piece of advice. Again, not to bring it back to me, but as someone who doesn't initially always have a lot of cash on them at a show, I I'm totally deterred from picking up merch if it's oh if it's this or I, I can maybe afford another drink later on or maybe like a cab home or something like that. It's 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 easy to kind of rule that out.
2: Kind of piggybacking off that point, my my big goal for my artists is that I want them, I want their fans or the people who got to watch their show i want them to leave with something whether it's you know a like on instagram or a follow on instagram or you know a like on facebook or a cd or whatever it may be i want you know you can't have them just leave the room and forget that they left forget what they saw so if you put a cd in their hand that's a win so if they come up with cash and it's a 5 dollar cd and they only give you 4 bucks they only have 4 bucks Take the $4 because it's important that they just walk away with something that they could show a friend and hopefully it'll give them a reason to look at your name again and go on your website and see when your next show in the area is and come back with two other people. And that's how a fan base grows. So kind of as we were talking about money and people not having cash on them, be willing to take the $4 instead of the 5 yeah. if it helps you know, people remember you.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. So there's been so many situations where a kid comes up without any money and you just give them you're like, don't tell anyone about this. Sure. You give them, because it's ex- that's exactly the point. You're you've made a fan for life
0: if you give them a two dollars CD. Hey, please,
2: anybody listening, don't show up to my artist shows with four dollars. <laughs> now <laughs> You
0: can use the fifth dollars They're giving away people. Um, no, and that, you know that's a good point. I mean, when I mentioned pens and stickers, you're right. I mean that that is, I think, uh, something artists uh, a cost that you should be willing to incur because it's. Um, yeah, it might go out the window when you give them away, but these are promotional things and they're, they're totally worth the cost. Um, something I wanted to dive into, and th- this is, you know, when we're talking about budgeting, it's going to be different for everyone. Um, and it's going to be different based on what kind of music you're doing, but I wanted to kind of get both of your opinions on, uh, prioritizing budgeting for a music video, uh, when it comes to a single, like we all know you're going to be pushing a single or two, maybe four singles individually, and then the, the EP comes out, but at what point, um, does a music video start to become a serious consideration? Um, because, you know, the the social content and the PR angle of this argument is uh, like a no-brainer, but what do you guys consider to be some other major advantages to releasing a video ahead of or in conjunction with, you know, a single on that EP?
2: I'm a fan of assets. I tell all my artists, you know, the more assets, the better. Um, we live in an ADD world right now, and people tend to forget how incredible your last video was and they're on to the next because all the video you know there's another video right on the right side of their screen that they can click on um and it just gives them a reason to move on so um by you know hitting them uh, hitting the fan base again and again with content it it only helps you
0: and look actually you just dropped a video for your new single right yeah congratulations Things, yeah,
1: I, I definitely agree with that because when you're working with a publicist and or you're working with a label, they can only kind of take you as far as the amount of things you give them, and, and you really are, um, you really benefit from having as many kind of pieces of things to 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 give out, especially where it's it's getting a little less that way. But you kind of get in the situation where one person wants to premiere it, and you can't, you know, you can't really go that wide with it, or you aren't at a level where your your asset would go that wide, so you're only really as good as every single, you know, nerf bullet and nerf dart and the nerf gun or whatever, you know. You're just trying to give people as much as, as, as they can to work with. The other thing I was going to say um, about touring is to, um, it, not to get off topic, but I think it really helps to have a manager on tour because, you know, if you're trying to run a PR campaign and, whatever I know there's a lot of downtime on a tour but you really just it, for whatever reason there's just not enough time to be doing that label stuff and be doing that promotional stuff while you're trying to work through everything on tour it's it would be really difficult to multitask all that i've found it in the past trying to do stuff like that myself that you really need someone there who's not on the road helping out
0: sure that makes a lot of sense um. So you're
2: saying have somebody at a home base, somebody who's not with you.
1: Yeah, because as much as you think that you can accomplish whatever on tour, it just, you know, sometimes the priority just becomes like staring out the window and processing whatever was happening at the last place or something. It just, it it would be really difficult to have the mental space to do all these things in motion, which is, you know, it's really good to have PR doing um, tour Tour press, too. yeah, and I've
0: done tour press, and I've 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 had to wrangle those you know college radio interviews for the band, and it's like, at what point do you expect the artist to really be fully plugged into what's going on when they're on the road? It, it especially if you're trying to keep overhead low as it is, and you're driving, and someone else is driving, and you're, you know, you don't have Wi-Fi in the car; it's not like that. Uh, so that's a really good point to to, to take in. One um, uh, one last thing in regard to the, the music videos, and I wanted to I wanted to, to uh, ask. Luke, specifically, if you know, if you had any tips for keeping videos on the cheaper end of production?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that um, it's interesting. Like, uh, uh, it might not be interesting. I'll say it first, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I tend to go for a vibe over. Put it this way: if you can't get a high production value vibe, then go go a different angle or go a different lane, like I'll film a video on VHS and you'd be amazed at how much more effective capturing a vibe is than trying to make a high, high production value video that's not high production value because it's just, there's something more personal and there's, there's some kind of signature that people respect. People don't care if your video budget is 10 grand or two grand or And people see or through nothing. it when you're yeah. faking it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah I don't yeah it, exactly like, I just saw some sort of like fake, fake sort of Justin Bieber style, R and B whatever video, and it was just like you could just tell like okay they couldn't get the good camera they didn't have the good, good enough concept, and I think that like, even just home footage you can make it on your iPhone and download it eight millimeter app or something. Yeah, it's just, Luke
2: just mentioned the concept, and like the
1: concept is is the biggest part of it all. More important than the camera you're using,
2: more important than really anything is just, is your idea good enough? And if your idea is good, then it gives people a reason to watch and pass it around and spread the word about what you're working on.
0: Well, I think that's some pretty good advice. Um, We are going to have to kind of wrap it up here. But uh, I do want to thank our guests, Jason Melker and Luke Rathborn for coming in. Oh,
1: thank you. Um,
0: I'll give you guys both a chance to just sort of plug your stuff, You know, website, social.
1: Sure. Yeah. Just my name is Luke Rathborn. It's R-A-T-H-B-O-R-N-E. And and if you Google that, you'll find everything. (laughs) Um, I'm not going
2: to plug myself because I'm not that cool, but I work with great artists. Uh, I have Bohemians. They're a Long Island-based alt rock band. I have Dudley Music, and uh, I do some consulting for Talib Kweli and his label, Javoti Media, all of which go through TuneCourt. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, And I also manage Dream Recording Studios. And you can look all those up online. Uh, It's dudmusic.com for Dudley. Uh, It's bohemiansband.com for Bohemians. It's dreamrecordingstudios.com for the studio. And Talib Kweli is Talibquelli.com.
0: All you Long Islanders, check out Dream. And if you're in New York, definitely get a chance to check out Luke Rathborn Live as well. Um, again, I hope you guys walked away with some cool tips. Uh, again, we did we weren't going to build a budget for you. We just wanted to throw some discussion points out there uh, of things to consider along the way and hopefully well ahead of time of that release. Uh, as always, thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast, and be sure to find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Until next time.